thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Oswego Alumni Podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Oswego Alumni Association, SUNY Oswego, or any of its officials. Without further ado, here is your host, Dee Perkins. Welcome to the Oswego podcast. My name is Dee Perkins, filling in for the summer because the students are on break. And I'm so happy to have Marcus Larobadier. Did I get it? You got it. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so. I think I kind of mangled it again. <laughs> Marcus, go ahead, say it. Larobadier. Oh, so beautiful when you say it, so <laughs> terrible when I say it. Uh, Marcus is the class of 2011, and he is doing PR in Boston, and we're going to get his take on what it takes to be a successful PR person, and also how his time in Oswego was, and how it influenced what he did in his life, and, and how it affects his life uh, currently. So thanks for coming on the podcast, and it's the first time we're doing a video podcast, so yeah. it's a vlog. Blog, blog. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, class <laughs> of 2011, you're only yeah. out there for 10 years, and um, how? Let's get started and, and talk about what made you choose Oswego as the place you wanted to go to college. So there were a couple of different factors. I had wanted to get into the broadcasting. Uh, that was what I originally um, wanted to do coming out of high school. And so, you know, the two broadcast schools in central New York, where I grew up, um, Oswego and Syracuse. And <clears throat> I also had a dream to, to play college uh, sports, play soccer. Um, and I had an opportunity to do that at Oswego. And so it was really, it, it was really easy um, for me to make the decision because um, I had the, the, you know, major that I wanted to study. Um, and I had a chance to play sports and it wasn't too far away. And the water, um, I mean, you're right on Lake Ontario. Like, how does it get any better than that? It doesn't. So um, it, it was pretty easy. I remember when I was looking at colleges and I saw the water, it sealed the deal for me. <laughs> but the first dorm that I was in was Moreland and it looked over yeah. the electric plant. It wasn't exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Where did you start? What, what was your first dorm? Uh, Seneca. 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 Uh, yep. Mm -hmm. I was in eighth floor of Seneca. Great view from there. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you got to college, you know, mm -hmm. the funny thing about the college experience is you're thrown into a room with someone you've never met before. You know, tell right. me about your roommate experience. Was it somebody who had similar interests or did you kind of have to learn a whole new thing? So I had actually um, a friend that I had in, in, growing up, I had known in my whole life was actually a sophomore. And so I had um, sort of pleaded to uh, room with him, um, which which didn't take away from the experience whatsoever, um, because he had, you know, baked in a friend group that lived in Seneca. And it was familiar. Um, and, you know, I, I had gotten to school middle of August, because you have tryouts and, and training cramp camp for soccer. So um, I, you know, going into it, um, you know, I was excited about that and having someone familiar that to live with, um, you know, was, was an okay thing. And I, I felt good about that. And, um, it didn't take away from the experience whatsoever because you go through, you know, the freshman orientation and you get to meet all these people. And at the time Facebook was, was really prominent, you know, and, and starting to really, really pick up. And so I remember like 
everybody going in for the class of 2011, there was like a Facebook group where we were all talking and, you know, asking where people lived and stuff. So, you know, I didn't feel like that took away whatsoever um, from my college experience because I had all these classes and all these opportunities to meet people and really just throw myself into every opportunity to get immersed in into school and meet new people and, you know, had doors open through, you know, my, my major and different classes as well as soccer. And um, yeah, I, I kind of skipped that awkward part of having to learn, you know, who a roommate is. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you had kind of two tracks that um, um, colored your college experiences, broadcasting and soccer. So let's start with soccer. Um, sure. How long were you in, on the team? Uh, did you all four years were you a star player? Tell me a little bit about that. I was far from a star player, um, but I did. <laughs> I played all four years. Um, and so I played goalkeeper and um, it was it was a blast. I mean, I really wouldn't trade that for anything. And I know that there's a lot of um, different social paths and different things that people can have in college, whether you go into Greek life or you're joining clubs that are on campus and things. Um, but for me, it was soccer. And I really um, was so appreciative and thankful for that because, um, you know, I had to work to, to get a spot on the team and stay on the team. And, um, you know, it's kind of a cliche. Everyone says, you know, what do you miss about, um, you know, playing soccer or playing college as, you know, in college as an athlete. And it's like the locker room and, and training and, and, uh, practices and all that stuff, all that bonding time that you have with your, with your teammates. Um, and so that really was, was such a blast and, um, and, um, yeah, I, I mean, really some of, some of my best friends, um, still to this day, you know, were born and, and, uh, from from playing on that team. <clears throat> so I that that was going to be my follow-up question. Are they yeah. are they still guys that you talk to? Do you have a text chain going on? Oh yeah. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so a funny story actually. So one of the guys who was a year older than I was who played soccer, um, he played goalkeeper, we played the same position. He was in the broad or he was in the communications department. He was studying PR. And that had originally I came in as a broadcast major and, you know, talking with Nick Liberati, he was the, the class of 2010, um, you know, he was studying PR and we had a couple classes overlap. And then I had shifted my major to, to communications and PR and, and dropped out of broadcasting um, or just transitioned, I guess, um, and played with him. He graduated and moved to Boston and had, you know, had an internship and then eventually was able to get a full time job and sort of pulled me to Boston. Um, and then I ended up living with him for a few years um, until we you know, had serious relationships and then moved in with our girlfriends and um, you kind of grow up and, and now we're both married um, to said girlfriends. Um, and I'm gonna see him this weekend, you know? And um, so we live, you know, 20 minutes away from each other here in Boston, um, which isn't unique. I know that, that that happens quite a bit, but yeah, just um, bizarre that, we had worked together, um, played soccer together, went to Oswego together, lived uh, in, a, in a small apartment in Somerville, just outside of Boston together. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't make that stuff up. <laughs> no, no, there's a lot of that in Oswego. Uh, I think that's what makes our college so special. In my mm -hmm. situation, the first five radio jobs I got, I got from somebody I met in Oswego. And he just kept, you know, saying, oh, D would be great for this. D would be great for that. And I'm eternally thankful to him <laughs> and to the school because I talked to other people about their college experience. And 
I think it's very special that Oswego mm -hmm. just forms these tight knit groups. And, you know, once you're in those people, you know, they last a lifetime. You're, you're 2011. I'm 1985. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I still have a text group. I have a text group of my 1985ers. So, you know, uh, it, it is an amazing thing. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's the snow. I don't know what the special sauce is, but there is definitely special sauce. <laughs> yeah. I what think if you can go through one of those uh, lake effect snowstorms and, and, you know, deal with the wind coming off of the lake together. Um, you know, you you've pretty much imprinted on a bond amongst your friends that you know you've gotten through this. You can get through pretty much anything. <laughs> so you talked about coming in as wanting to be a broadcaster, and mm -hmm. then you switched to communications. What what made what was behind that choice? Um, I I saw the movie. Thank you for smoking. And <laughs> thought thought oh, that it was Aaron Aaron cool. Eckhart, right? Aaron Eckhart yes. is in yeah, that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. And so, you know, I the broadcast school was was awesome, but I'm thinking, okay, like, you know, you it's for what I wanted to do, being on camera, um, that's really hard, and you really have to grind. And um, you know, I was like, I don't, my heart's just not in it. I I think that there's something else that I want to do, and I became more interested in marketing and communications and. Um, you know, PR was, was, uh, I had a few friends that were in the program. I had done some research and talked with them and, you know, felt that it was a good fit. Um, and so that was, it was pretty easy. I had a lot of credits already built up. So making that transition and, and majoring in, in communications and PR was, was relatively smooth and I wasn't going to lose time as far as graduating on time. And so everything made sense and it was a really easy transition. And I think about some of the classes, um, like interpersonal communication, um, persuasion, conflict, all, all of those things still, I mean, to this day, you're using some of those principles and, and things that I learned and thought of and, um, you know, we had studied while we were, you know, at school and in class. And so, you know, that's, that's served me well, all the way through. Um, yeah, even till this day. So was there a particular professor that uh, guided you or you feel like every time you talk about the success that you've had, you kind of want to tip your hat to that person? Um, there are a couple. I, I I would struggle to remember the names. Um, I, I do know one. No, come on. You're only 10 years out. <laughs> <laughs> I do know one professor in particular that um, I, I had a blast with, uh, John Smith. Um, he was, he, you could do his laugh. Yeah. Every, oh. <laughs> he knows, he knows we're doing oh, it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, no, he was, he was fantastic. I loved, I loved his classes. Um, and, and Steve as well. I'm trying to think of, um, I can't remember his last, I'm terrible with names. I remember faces. Um, but he now is a professor at Northeastern here in Boston. We haven't had a chance to to connect and meet up, but he, he had a really fun class around interpersonal communications. And, um, I remember we watched Harry met Sally and <laughs> stuff like that in class. Um, so, I mean, cumulatively it was all, you know, it was all impactful and, and a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, really appreciate it. And it helped me set me up really to get a job full-time right out of school. Um, you know, and so it would, I graduated in May and then by August I was living in Boston and working at a PR agency. Um, and so, you know, I had an internship, uh, in Syracuse, I was working at the, um, the science and uh, the Syracuse Academy of Science. Um, 
and, and doing community relations and things there for my spring semester, senior year. And that was a lot of fun. Um, but to speak of that was the professional experience I had. And so I really credit the curriculum, the classes, um, the projects and everything leading up to helping to build a resume, which, you know, compared to resumes I see when I'm, you know, hiring people today, um, you know, they're a little more filled out. Mine was pretty light. And so, you know, I credit the, the school, the institution and, and um, all the classes and all the curriculum and everything that I'd had that really did set me up to, to land a, a full-time job out of school. And at that time, you're on the heels of the the housing and economic crisis, it really was a little bit scary, not sure what the job market was going to be. And I, I think I was lucky, but also was prepared and had a really, really good education and had a really good, um, yeah, just prep um, to be able to, to make, make the transition to, to the professional life. I like to set our folks in a moment in time. And I think one of the things that um, all of us can relate to is music. And I know when I graduated and I was going through those first hard times, I had a song that was my theme song. So to place you in the timeline mm -hmm. of Oswego, what would you say when you graduate and going through those hard times, what was your song that got you through? Um. I, there isn't one in particular that I can think of. I know that Zach Brown, uh, Zach Brown band was, was pretty popular. Um, so yeah, I, I know we listened to a lot of him and Mumford and Sons, they had their first album, um, right. Yeah. My senior year that it came out. And I listened to that probably on repeat with all of my roommates, like nonstop. We loved that album. So I would say probably Mumford and Sons. Yeah. And Zach Brown toes in the sand. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love that song. I love that song. <laughs> and Mumford's, Mumford and Sons, I Will Wait. I mean, that that's a great jam song. Oh, sorry. Can you say that again? Uh, Mumford and Sons, I Will Wait. I will wait. I will wait oh, yeah. for <laughs> <Yes>. you. <laughs> that was the I'm one. Wait. That was the one. Yeah. I'm waiting for somebody to stump me, you know? So, so far I'm good. I'm good. And uh, <laughs> I'm good in 10 years ago music. Um, so you leave Oswego and, you know, like this is the part yes. that the um, the younger students who are listening or watching uh, are going to want to be interested in. How do you feel your experience in college got you that first step of breaking into the Boston market? I think you talked about it already that it was a, yeah. a fellow soccer player that helped you get there. But how, give me more detail. How did that actually happen? So. I mean, one of the things that I would say, and I picked this up probably my junior year, was really started to work and get to know my professors and my advisors. Um, and, you know, it, it's very easy to sit in the class and go through the motions. And, you know, even, even today, and we could talk about this a little bit, but I'm an adjunct professor at LaSalle University um, teaching ab about digital commerce and retail for the School of Fashion here. And, um, you know, and some of my students, they, I've found, you know, they hesitant to reach out or take advantage of office hours. And, you know, there were times when I, I was just, I, I really need to know this. And I, and I realized that there's, it's a short amount of time, four years to be at a school. And I, you know, had went through freshman year, just enjoying everything. It was so new. Sophomore year, I'm like, okay, I got this. This is really fun. And, 
then I'm like, oh no, I have two years to go and I want to graduate on time. I do not want to, you know, stay any longer than I have to, not because I didn't love Oswego, um, but because I wanted to, to graduate on time and I wanted to, to see what that next chapter was. And so I just took advantage of our office hours um, and spoke with professors, got to know them, asked them about, um, grabbed a cup of coffee and asked, you know, what do I need to do to, you know, ensure that I have a job coming out of school and just asking advice from alumni. And, um, and that certainly helps put some things into perspective. You know, I was getting a lot of tips about get an internship, get an internship. If you can get one, um, go for it. And that was how I had spent the, the spring semester, last half of my senior year, doing community relations for the, the Academy of Science in Syracuse. Um, and that helped you know, set me up and then working with um, professors to create a portfolio and pull together writing samples, all of which you know, was, was prepared and ready to go. I had like a little binder or a folder uh, that I brought to the interview and, and shared with folks. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that all helped. Uh, I took a lot of interviews. I mean, this is one thing I tell students or anybody that uh, is younger that's looking for jobs, like interview for jobs, even if you don't want them, because probably by the time I had an interview for a position and a job that I really wanted, I had probably done like 20 job interviews at that point. Um, for jobs that I didn't want or just practice, I just took them and took them and took them because who knows? I mean, if um, you get an accept an offer letter, you know, then okay, or you get an offer and then you take it, that's fine. But I also just understood that practice makes perfect. And so um, as many interviews as I could take, I took. And yeah, just leaning into the classes that I felt I wanted to take, but would also set me up for the career that I wanted. Um, and so it was a blend of everything, you know. Um. Did your experience, uh, that's an amazing thing that you were constantly setting yourself up to be rejected, you know? Yeah. And so I started to think, did your experience as a soccer player kind of prepare you for those rejects? Some people, you know, and I, I love you talked about you didn't want to be on camera. I, I also think there's a piece of that, that there's so much rejection when you're going out for mm -hmm. on-screen yeah. talent. So did the experience of being a soccer player, knowing that some games you win and some games you lose, did that prepare you for, you know, 20 interviews and 20, you know, rejections until the 21st was an okay? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and the fact that I, you know, wasn't the most talented player on the team and had to, <laughs> had to work and stay on the team and, um, you know, uh, make up for areas where maybe weren't as talented or as skilled. So you had to be fit. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I had to work at it. It was, it didn't come that naturally, you know? And so, um, and, and so for some players that's easy, right. But I had to be disciplined and, and work at it and practice and, um, and get better every single day. And so just that constant grind um, and there's lessons in that less, less about winning and losing a game, but, you know, to make the team, to stay on it, to be good, to, to get better at different things every single day, all of that stuff really did. Um, there were lessons to be learned from that. And I, I took advantage of them and think about those quite often, actually. <laughs> Do the hurt, did the hurt of the nose hurt less? Um. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I also, I had, uh, you know, there were some jobs and rejections that, that did hurt a little bit, um, but I also had a lot of confidence and I knew that, um, 
you know, eventually something was going to work out and it was going to work out the way that it, it was supposed to. Um, and yeah, I remember getting the call in August. So I had went to Boston um, to visit my buddy and interview at the firm that he was at the agency. And they, he told me and they said, it's, this is purely informational. So I didn't feel much pressure. I, I didn't even wear a tie. I just I had a suit out and a jacket and a shirt. And I, that was it. And um, he's like, you're crazy. I'm like, it's informal. Like it's a formal, informal interview, you know? Um, you know, what do I care? They're, they're telling me right out from, you know, the start, I'm not, there's no job to be had. So like, okay, you know? Um, so kind of going into that one, then that was the, that was the more pressure because I did want that job. Um, but you know, my, my mentality is they said, Oh, this is informational. There's no position yet, but we just want to get to know you. And if one pops up, we'll, you know, we'll hire you. So I was like, Oh, I just need to charm and win them over. That's it. Right. And, um, <laughs> and so I wasn't expecting to get, to get the offer. Um, and when I did, I was so excited. Um, and so, yeah, I mean that when in that moment, hearing all the other no's or, um, not getting the calls back, cause that's actually the worst part. Um, you know, you can handle a no because you know that, you know, uh, there's no shot at getting the job, but when you don't hear anything, that's, that's really terrible. <laughs> so and I think that's like, okay. common, right? Oh, yeah. That's common yeah. today that it's yeah. just a, employer ghosting. <laughs> yeah. That's what they call yeah. it. Well, and now being on the other side of it. So I'm the senior director of marketing for a startup company and, you know, we've hired a few positions recently and being on the other side of, of the hiring process, um, it, the ghosting goes both ways. I've had a number of, of candidates try and, you know, sign up, send the Zoom invite, like trying to get the interview set up and, you know, sitting around for 10 minutes and you're like, I don't think this person's coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And I'm like, That's oh, the, crazy. Yeah. I mean, I understand what the last 18 months of, of our entire world was like. And, um, you know, and there was a time like in November of 2020 where, like we were hiring for a position and I must have had like 150 applicants and people were just, just pushing and trying to get a job as, as much as possible. And then, you know, we're hiring in May and everybody's like, I don't know if this one's for me. And so there's an entire shift and uh, I had never been ghosted um, as, as the hiring manager uh, for an interview until, you know, recently. And I, even our, our uh, head of HR was like, that's a little insane. That doesn't happen too often. It's usually, you know, on the other foot. Um, so you talked about when you graduated, uh, it was a tough time. Uh, it was the economy crash uh, during the Obama years. Yeah, it was like the housing crisis. Um, and so there was a dip and it was, yeah, I just remember, um, you know, speaking with you know, my dad and some others and yeah, just a little bit of uncertainty. And I wasn't sure how it was going to affect um, the job market and what I was going to have to be faced with or any of my peers, right? And um, I didn't have anything lined up. And so, you know, it was a little bit nerve wracking. Um, gas was super expensive. I remember I was telling this story to somebody yesterday. We were talking about bad interviews. And um, I remember driving to Syracuse for an interview at this place. And I this is one of the examples. I didn't want to work there, but um, I was like, well, if worse comes to worst and I have no options, if I get an offer, at least I have this in my back pocket. And I remember driving there and I pulled up to the place and I just could tell, I'm like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to work here. Um, but I'm going to go through with the interview. I'm not going to ghost the the hiring manager like some other people do today. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I went in and the guy, you know, he was um, kind of a tough dude. And he, he was like, you know, 
he was trying, he's basically, it was, a, it was for a sales position and he was trying to see how I handle objection. And um, he had asked, he said, uh, what if I told you today that there's no job for you? And I was really irritated because that was like his first question. Ah. And, and I'm like, well, I, I would walk out because gas is like almost $4 a gallon. I'm a college student with no job. And I just wasted an hour driving to Syracuse for a position that you tell me is no longer available. And, <laughs> and he was like, okay, uh, that's one way to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> the interview did not end. Uh, it ended pretty shortly thereafter. Yeah. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I love the horror story. See, you know, everyone, oh, yeah. you see somebody like you who's very successful, they think that they're, you know, it just kind of magically happened. And, you know, for you and I, uh, you know, the detail is in those horror stories that, oh, you yeah. know, color our lives and then make it so that we're able to be successful because we have that background in rejection and horror stories and all those kinds of things. Yeah, and, and bad jobs too, like, um, or, or bad, you know, experiences once you land a position or, or make a move and go somewhere. Um, it's not all, uh, you know, um, peaches and cream. It, there's there's some tough parts and, and things that you have to overcome and challenges and obstacles and hurdles and people that you have to deal with. Um, so it's, it's a mixed bag. Um, and it's, it's not always easy, but, um, you know, you can, you can find success in diamonds in the rough for sure. In the last 10 years, I, mm -hmm. I, I can't think of a business that has changed more than PR. I'm probably mm -hmm. wrong. I mean, everything has changed in the last 10 years, you know, television with streaming and, and uh, so many, the internet and, um, you know, yeah. where you place information now. Um, I, I was smiling hearing you say you were bringing a binder to interviews, yeah. which doesn't <laughs> happen anymore. Right. <laughs> um, so in your position now, can you kind of mm -hmm. contrast how PR started for you and the things that you would do to get the word about something and where yeah. PR is now and how different it is? Sure. So when I first, when I started, um, I joined a big global agency and was an account coordinator, which basically, I mean, that was the bottom of the bottom. Um, you know, the, <laughs> you might have had, um, you know, a, a leg up on an intern, but not, not by much. And so, um, you know, fundamentally, we were hired by, by businesses, business to business, um, you know, software companies, primarily in healthcare tech and things like that, um, to get press, get get ink basically get stories for their business and typically that would revolve around uh, a press release a news announcement um you know maybe they brought on a new executive that they wanted to hire or they had a case study um any major event for a business that they wanted to get the word out and and get in front of more buyers um that was the objective get get their name out tell stories about the brand talk about how they're selling um, or helping solve business problems for different companies um, and hoped that in the hope would be that somebody would be reading one of these industry publications or a business publication, see this story and think, aha, that could help our business. Um, and, you know, the thing I talk about today with our team, and so I've stepped out of a, a purely, 
you know, communications and PR role and, and a focus more on uh, brand marketing and demand generation and seeing other facets of, of the marketing um, arm of our business. Um, but PR and communications is very similar to sales in a lot of ways. Um, and the, the difference is really only what you're selling. You're selling a story or you're selling a product. Um, and oftentimes they're, they're very much the same. And we have a salesperson on our team now who um, had originally started as a, as a PR rep and she's one of the more successful salespeople on our team. And, and I don't think that that's a coincidence. Um, but getting back to your question about um, the means of getting things out there, getting the news and the word out, um, you know, Twitter was, was just starting up uh, in 2011, um, or at least it was, it was starting to become more popular and more widely accepted in brands. A lot of brands were shifting to social media marketing um, because that's where the eyeballs were. And it was, it was a couple of you know, years after I had started where content marketing was starting to become extremely popular and it was starting to cannibalize a little bit of the traditional PR efforts because, you know, buyers were becoming more educated. And so they weren't, you know, old school buyers were still reading the same industry publications that they would read. And, you know, they were doing business the way they'd always done it, but fundamentally um, marketing and everything was shifting. And so buyers are becoming more educated um, they're taking control of the sales process. They aren't reliant on press and industry news to dictate what they were going to do for their business. They were taking control of that. And so they were going and researching more and they were starting to read reports and read content and consume all these content and become more educated. And then the sales processes were, the sales cycles were shrinking because the buyers know exactly what they want. They know who to go to. And so from just a general perspective, PR perspective, um, we saw a big shift. And I saw it while I was in PR agencies where the traditional means of doing business, pitching a reporter, a story, getting press and sharing it with a client that still is applicable. And that still happens today. Um, but we see a lot of agencies that are dipping their toes in content marketing, different mediums, social media, video, because those are services that brands recognize. And I today being, you know, leader on our marketing organization and looking to vendors to say, we need more types of content. We need this, we need that. We still have a PR function and, and our PR guy does a fantastic job getting stories and, and getting our news and, and message out there. Um, but it certainly has shifted even in the 10 years and that's not a long period of time, um, but, it, but it definitely has shifted. Um, and so, you know, for, if I had a piece of advice for, you know, uh, PR majors or anybody trying to get into the, the industry and, and make a career in PR, um, or communications or anything, I would say, you know, diversify what your skill set is and focus and do other things, become a great writer and understand different principles of marketing and be a Swiss army knife, um, you know, you can certainly, you can certainly go down a, a path and be um, really focused on your discipline and you can still be a great PR person. You can still be, you know, a great um, digital marketer. You can be a great social media marketer, um, but understanding other facets of, of the, the marketing as a, as a discipline um, will serve you best, especially if you're, you're trying to break into the job market. You're the college that you teach at specializes in fashion, correct? Um, well, they, they offer a, a number of different schools, but yeah, I teach in the school of fashion. So let's talk about something fun. Yeah. Um, 
do you talk to the students about getting Instagrammers to, you know, uh, how, you know, that track of now, you know, personalities on Instagrammers, you know, tens of years ago, these yeah. people who are famous, who you and I have never heard of are, <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> who are now saying I'm wearing a blue jacket from, you know, uh, so-and-so, <laughs> and then a thousand people go out and buy it. Um, is that part of the curriculum now? Are you talking about how to get influencers to, um, um, uh, pretty much sell their wares to their following? Yeah. I mean, I, I think probably the, the students could educate me on TikTok and all these influencers, <laughs> you know, and make I, a video, make, make it backwards, like, make a video, exactly. make it backwards. <laughs> I, some of that's lost on me. Okay. <laughs> but, um, well, I do, th I do think that, that, um, you know, the school does focus and, and talk a little bit about social media and different digital marketing components. And so, um, understanding and having awareness of how that works, um, you know, is, is ever present and it is, it is discussed. It has to be because that is, that is the way that things are, are trending and moving. Um, and so, you know, for my focus, I, I teach, uh, one class and, and I just started, um, last semester, the spring um, and was really fortunate. I've been working with a school and the dean for a number of years and actually hired a lot of interns from the School of Fashion to intern with my company over the summer. And, you know, we were a retail technology company. So there was a natural fit and they were right, you know, in our backyard. Um, in Newton, our offices were in South Boston or in Boston. Um, and so it was, it was really convenient and it was easy. And we had hired a number of students from the school and had a really great experience. Our CEO had, had written a book in 2017 and I had sent it to the Dean and um, had hoped that, you know, some of the professors would use that as part of their curriculum. Um, and I, I did the same when I had started. And so it was kind of a slow build and, um, you know, they had an opening and, and wondered if I wanted to teach this, this course on digital commerce and analytics, which is a blend of, um, what's going on, you know, the different means that the consumers are buying and how retail brands are adapting to technology and taking advantage of um, mobile technology, e-commerce, um, and this concept of omni-channel and all of these different things that are happening to retail. Um, and then the analytics side of it, what are the marketing teams or what are the e-commerce teams looking at as far as what is the cost of acquisition for a new consumer, um, all of that different stuff. So that was my focus. Um, and we covered a lot in the, in the, you know, 15 weeks that, um, you know, over the course of the semester. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was an experience for sure. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I can't imagine what it must be like, you know, 10 years after having been a student and now suddenly yeah. you're a professor and you said you did it in the spring. So is this in the middle of the pandemic? Are you actually doing classes on zoom? We were, yeah. So, so there were some some classes that were um, hybrid, but it was one night a week, Wednesdays from like six to eight thirty. And so, um, you know, I don't live too far away from from the school, um, but you know, it, it was going to be difficult. I have like a young child at home, so um, you know, it was. And the the school was great, and they said if you're if it's easier to work from remotely and do the Zoom classes. Um, you know, that's, that's totally fine. There were some courses that were hybrid and some professors were doing that, but, um, yeah, it was all over zoom, which presented its own challenges. I'm, I'm sure. And, um, 
I mean, working in that way, I was comfortable with it. I'd had to do that for, you know, about a year before the class had started. So there weren't things that I was unaware of as far as challenges go, but teaching for the first time, um, a group of students on Zoom, yeah, there were some challenges and some headaches and um, we got through it. But <laughs> so know, I have a professor I, in my in my yeah. Zoom uh, in my uh, I have a Zoom group of Oswego grads, and one of them is a professor. And he talked yeah. about when the students have their camera off, and then you end the class, but you don't like oh. you as the professor leave. You, you yeah. as the professor stay on and you say to the class, okay, class is over. And then you see like three people and they don't leave. And you know, yeah. <laughs> they're either watching TV, they've left the room. And that's a little yeah. disheartening, he said. It was, it was, it was really hard because um, like I had said, I, you know, um, as a student became more engaged in my, in the curriculum and the classes and really communicating and working with the professors um, my junior and senior year and sort of it was a click um, and it became a lot easier. And I, I got a lot more out of that um, as part of like my experience, you know, as a student and was hoping that um, I would have some of the same, you know, and working with the students. And there were a few that ended up, you know, coming to office hours and talking through and asking about um, asking questions and different things like that. But there were a few instances where <laughs> <laughs> I'm presenting slides or something and, um, you know, students are there eating pizza or talking with their roommates or the camera's off and, um, oh, it was a shot. And I'm like, man, did I do this crap when I was a student? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then you think like, okay, I might have dozed off a couple of times in a lecture hall or something, but um only yeah. in the 300 rooms, you know, in the oh, 300 yeah, rooms yeah, in Lanigan, yeah. then you could get yes. away with it. But, you know, in those smaller classrooms, it would be really, I, I, I took classes with 15 people in them. You couldn't yeah. fall asleep in those. No, no. <laughs> uh, before yeah, uh, I took a look, I promised only an hour of your time. So I just want to get to what your own company does. I did a little research online. So you yeah. actually work with businesses and teach them how to use the internet to um, make it easier for customers to buy their products. Is, is that a good way to put it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. That's, that's pretty close. So we were a software company um, and the founder of of new store that's the, the company that i work for um was an e-commerce pioneer so he had founded his first company intershop in the early 90s and was credited with creating the first online shopping cart and so he was a really early e-commerce pioneer um, he took that company intershop public in germany and in the us and then later founded uh, demandware which is an e-commerce um, company based out of uh, burlington massachusetts um, and the difference there was it was e-commerce still, um, but it was cloud-based. And so it wasn't, um, you know, built in, uh, you know, servers and, and on-premise type um, technology. It was all in the cloud, like how we have our iPhones, at, you know, update because stuff lives in the cloud. And so this was how the software was built. And, um, and it was pretty innovative at the time. And he was obviously onto something because in 2015, he had sold that company to Salesforce. Um, for just under $3 billion and then founded New Store. Yeah. And so- Come on, um, $3 billion. I'm getting an <laughs> island and I am drinking pina coladas. I'm not finding any more businesses. I'm enjoying life. <laughs> he must exactly. be very passionate, very passionate about what he does. He is uh, and a visionary for sure, because um, at the time he was, he was thinking, okay, and this is, this is, you know, 
around 2015. And so there's always these stories about e-commerce is cannibalizing, you know, retail stores and, and brick and mortar retail. And the fact of the matter is about 80 to 90% of all retail sales are still happening in stores. So actually the problem wasn't that e-commerce was too prevalent and there are too many stores. And, and that is the case sometimes, but um, it was actually that the store experience was suffering because brands weren't embracing technology and providing the same type of e-commerce like um, store experience or shopping experience in the stores. And so, you know, between the mobile device, which, you know, we talk about as like a connective tissue between consumers and brands. Um, and we talked about TikTok and influencers. I mean, everybody's on their phone all the time. And so, um, you know, the value proposition and one of the things that um, Stefan wanted to do, our CEO, put the power of, of the entire like website and all these different um, options and tools into the hands of a, a store associate. And so um, what we've done is basically for our customers, they don't have cash registers, they don't have cash wraps, um, all, all of the checkout, up, everything is done through an iPhone. So you know, we're an omni-channel store solution and we provide a point of sale um, and an order management system. Everything's built um, to do all these different um, shopping workflows like click and collect or curbside pickup, remote selling, clienteling um, to, to make really have really modern retail shopping experiences. Um, so we work with some really fun brands like Burton Snowboards, um, Untuck It. You might've seen the commercials, you know, the shirts you don't tuck in. Um, yeah, uh, to name a Tan. few. So. Tan is a, friend, a fan of that. Tan from yeah. um, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're great people over at Untuck It. Um, yeah, and so it's, it's a lot of fun. We, you know, we have quite a few customers. We signed um, a big customer yesterday. Um, and so the company is, you know, it's about five years old uh, or six years, I guess now. And, um, yeah, we're starting to really, really start to grow and, and we're about to hit that growth stage. Um, you know, and so it's an exciting time to, to be working, you know, at this company. So Oswego kids that just graduated in May, they want to know, are you looking for people? Always, always. <laughs> ah, oh my God. Okay. So uh, we'll put your email address in the, uh, as the Absolutely. producers do the, do the, uh, uh, do the magic of the vlog. They'll, they'll put your email address down here. Uh, what yeah. kind of people are you looking for? Do they have to live well, in Boston? That's the new question. Um, no, not always. Not always. Um, you know, so we're always looking for uh, engineers um, and product uh, focused um people. There's also like, you know, customer support and professional services where doing implementations. I mean, anybody with some technical expertise and, you know, developers, um, product or software engineers, um, we're always hiring in that field. And, you know, but we have a pretty big and growing um, people and HR team, um, our finance team uh, and marketing, of course, we're always, we'll always talk with, with students or applicants and, and interview. So um, yeah, I mean, it, anybody, you know, feel free to, to reach out and uh, we'll see if there's a fit. 
So my last question is an opportunity for you to give a shout out to anyone who you feel has been responsible for all your success. I always want to give people a chance to say, hey, if it wasn't for <laughs> these couple of folks, I wouldn't be where I am because you know your mom and dad are going to be watching this and all your friends. Sure. You're going to put it on Facebook and they're like, did Marcus mention me? So now the <laughs> pressure's on. Now you have 10 minutes to do your Oscar speech. <laughs> okay. Um well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, my parents have been extremely supportive and and core to, yeah, just helping me, you know, become me, I suppose. Um, and, you know, I, you know, have a great friend network as well. Um, and, you know, students and peers from, from Oswego. Um, I guess I'll, I'll credit Nick for actually helping me get my first professional job, because if it wasn't for that referral, uh, you know, from one Oswego alum to another, I, I who knows? Um, <laughs> so that was, that was pretty important. Um, I don't know, I, I haven't really thought about that, really. Um, I mean, obviously, all of my professors and everything, um, different jobs and, and mentors and stuff like that have been really pivotal. My boss today um, is, is, you know, a really fantastic person and have learned a lot from him uh, just as a, as my manager. And then just as a, as a mentor, um, you know, his name, Phil Granoff. So um, that would be one um, as well. So. Nick and Phil, we're going to tag you. So, you know, yeah. you get, you get the credit. <laughs> Marcus, it has been a joy to talk to you. Thank you yeah, so much for taking, taking the time. We appreciate it. And uh, this has yeah. been D and Marcus and the Oswego alumni blog. Uh, we will see you next month. Thanks again. The Oswego Alumni Podcast is brought to you by the Oswego Alumni Association and 88.9 WNYO, the Laker Radio Network.